Bartley, you're one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the big dog of philosophy, the achievements of Aristotle. Your teacher is Dr. Tim Dean, philosopher and faculty member with the School of Life. Welcome. Good afternoon. Hi there, Richard. This is the guy whose ideas outlasted 2,000 years. Yeah, he is uh, perhaps the most influential philosopher in the Western tradition, um, with a close contender being uh, his mentor, Plato. Uh, the two of them shaped intellectual history for well over 2,000 years. And particularly Aristotle was picked up by um, many Christian uh, philosophers and theologians uh, who took his work and found ways to make it compatible with their views. And they're the ones who really carried it forward over centuries and centuries, and it still has a lasting impact today. The story begins in Thrace in the 4th century BC. Yeah, it does. So he was born in the 4th century BC, which is kind of slightly after peak Athens, I suppose you could say. Uh, and he, when he grew up, he moved down to Athens, which was where you know, the centre of, of, of the intellectual kind of revolution was going on. And he studied under Plato. And we know uh, of Plato today primarily through his works and his dialogues uh, featuring Socrates, uh, the great Socrates. And Aristotle learnt a lot from Plato but didn't agree with him on everything. In fact, they had uh, some significant disagreements in the way that they saw the world. So where Plato thought things were, you know, reality was really this, this otherworldly kind of space of, of, of abstract truths. This and, is the our, cave with the shadows. The cave it? with yeah. the shadow. We, we're stuck in this cave and all we can see are the shadows of reality. Um, Aristotle took, I, I think you could probably say, a much more modern view. He thought that we were very much embodied and embedded within a world and he liked the idea of us experiencing and... Uh, uh, questioning and interrogating the world directly rather than assuming that, that we're just seeing the shadows and the flickers mm. on the wall. And that that, uh, that emerges in the way he's not only interested in philosophy, he's, he's interested in science, isn't he? He's interested in direct observation. Yes, absolutely. And so I think uh, we can think of him today as, as being a, a polymath. He was interested in all aspects of the sciences and saw them as continuous. They all connected to each other and they all spoke to each other. So unlike, uh, I guess, the modern day stereotype of a philosopher sitting in the armchair and just looking into books and pondering into space, which, look, I'm, you know, I'm guilty of doing from time to time. He very much got out into the world and studied things directly. He, he annotated things. He created, I guess he kind of created taxonomy, the idea of connecting uh, how does this species relate to that species? How do these forms vary? And finding some kind of commonalities between them. And he was very much into what we today would call the empirical method, the idea of going out, seeing what's going on, trying to create a theory to explain what's going on, and then testing it with observation, trying to break that theory, which is very much like the scientific method today. Mm. We're going to come back to his theory of what is sometimes called happiness, that that's what we're all on, on the planet to, to achieve. It's slightly more complicated mm. than that in, <laughs> in his view. But just complete a bit of the biography, because this is fascinating. He taught Alexander the Great. He did. He was hired to be a tutor for Alexander of Macedon when he was uh, just a teenage boy, when he was young, before he became Alexander the Great. And uh, it's kind of universal. We don't have a lot of records from that time, but it's kind of universally agreed by, by historians and philosophers that he did a terrible job. 
And we don't know whether that was Aristotle's fault or Alexander's fault. But when you follow the life of Alexander, it seems as though he was neither philosophical nor terribly ethical in Aristotle's sense. But he gave it a shot. And when uh, Alexander eventually took over uh, Macedon and then went off on his expeditions, that's when Aristotle um, left, went back to Athens, and he created his own school uh, called the Lyceum, where in centered in Athens, where he would uh, teach and he would lecture. And it kind of created this this uh, school that's sometimes called the peripatetic school, named after the Greek word for walking, because he was known for walking around um, the, the, the parks and the gardens nearby and lecturing while he did so. So he liked to, to keep moving while he was thinking. Those lectures might have been about logic. He, 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 he invents really the, the structure of the syllogism. Yes, and this was a part of his lasting uh, influence over thousands of years, is, is really formalising a lot of the logic. Now, a lot of Greek thinkers had... Uh, worked on mathematics, they'd worked on logic. Um, you know, Plato, we think of Pythagoras and, and uh, uh, Euclid. They had created these systems, but he really systematised it into this thing of um, kind of formal logic that we would recognise today, including things like the syllogism, which is a very classic thing where you've got a major premise, you've got a minor premise, and you've got a conclusion. So one of the classic examples would be something like, all humans are mortal, Socrates is human, Therefore, Socrates is immortal. So we think of that as pretty straightforward, but he created this as the foundation of a much larger system of logic that survived for millennia and was only really changed about 100, 150 years ago uh, and only overturned and turned into something different you know, that recently. One of the ways you can understand, I suppose, his manner of thinking is to look at his theory of, of, of happiness, uh, flourishing of, or of well-being. He sees every activity. I, I, might, uh, I might eat a pack an apple for lunch. Uh, in a way, he can connect that first action to this bigger aim in life. He's very interested in why we do what we do. What are the causes of our actions? And, and as he said, I could my, my the cause of me wanting to have an apple is that you know I'm hungry, and the reason you know I want to sate my hunger is so that I can be healthy, and the reason I want to be healthy is so that I can go and do other things. He's like, well, that's interesting. If you follow that chain of causes of our behaviour you will eventually get to something that is just desirable, just good in and of itself. You're not doing it for any other reason. It's not, it doesn't have any instrumental value. It has final value. And he said if you can figure out what that final value is, then you can realise what the purpose of being a person is, what the purpose of being human is. And if you can find that final value and you can achieve that, then you can be a really good person. And he decided, he figured out that he thought the final value was this wonderful Greek term called eudaimonia, which is often translated as beyond just happiness as being like fulfilment, being like well-being. It's a very kind of all-encompassing view of, of just total satisfaction as a person. Um, and he thought if that is what we're trying to achieve, what we need to do is figure out ways to, uh, to reach that final purpose without getting distracted by other things. Mm. I mean, that could sound selfish as if we're not about a society, but we're just all an individual seeking happiness. Yeah, that's right. And that kind of differentiates Aristotle's ethics uh, from a lot of modern day ethics. A lot of modern day ethics like utilitarianism, you hear that from people like Peter Singer, is about maximising the good for the maximum number. It's all about everyone else and that's good. And Aristotle's is more about not kind of maximising the good for everyone, but how to be a good person. But woven into that 
is the virtues. What kinds of virtues does a good person have? Courage, you know, honesty, uh, faithfulness. These kinds of things make us a good person. And a lot of those are focused on being nice to other people. So by being a good person, you're not only achieving this state of kind of eudaimonia, making yourself you know, a better person and happier, but you're also helping other people to achieve the same kind of thing. Here's the re idea about the virtues, though, that the virtues and the vices are tangled up with each other and there's a golden mean. Something like courage is not something that's the more courage, the better. Yes, so the golden mean was like this sweet spot between all these things, these traits. And it makes sense because if someone is too courageous, they become reckless. And if someone is not courageous enough, they become kind of cowardly and, and, and don't commit to their actions. So he said with all of these virtues, there was this sweet spot, this golden mean between the two extremes. And he wanted to try to find what those are and cultivate those uh, as, as kind of character traits in people. And then you would all, you wouldn't have to worry about kind of thinking too much of the moral calculus. Is this going to, you know, you just behave well, you're a good person. Mm. The picture you painted, this incredibly, uh, incredible figure in philosophy, incredibly influential figure, it's all based on the 31 works that we have <laughs> out of the 200-plus he wrote. Yeah, that's right. It's one of those great tragedies that so much work from the ancient world has been lost lost to us. And what little has been passed down has often been passed down uh, through Arabian philosophers and then was then rediscovered by um, Greek and then European philosophers. Some of it was passed down through the Romans. A great deal of it was lost. Um, many of the great thinkers, Epicurus is another favourite of mine. He was a prolific writer and very little is left. Um, but it's amazing that what we have is so rich and we can only wonder what else uh, we will never know about. Yeah, the big dog of philosophy, Aristotle. Thank you so much. Thank you.